I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget J. Paul Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. And welcome to What's Next. I am your host, Lorenzo Rodriguez, and we are in the, the thick of it. We are in the midst of Hispanic Heritage Month. We're trying to highlight some of the stories and, and the, the Hispanics, Latinos out here in Western New York. And with me today, I have, uh, this, was, this is an exciting one because if I may, a former WBFOer uh, and now doing big things, he's a filmmaker, director, producer, kind of a one-man band per se, Rocco Anastasio. Rocco, thank you very much for joining us on What's Next. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate being here. And I had the pleasure of, of heading out to Canisius College the other day uh, to watch a screening of your film, Boricua Soy Yo. Uh, you are of Puerto Rican descent. Actually, mixed. Yeah. Mix. You're, you're, you're... I'm, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Italian. Two very strong identities. But there. I'm 100% both. Hey, I like that. I like that. But this movie is 100% Puerto Rican, though. Yes. Uh, yes you do touch on, on your dual nationalities, the, the, the two heritages, identities that formed you. Um, your grandfather was Puerto Rican on your mother's side. Yes. Uh, he came, He came. well, I'll let you do the, the explaining, but then also your father uh, came from, from Italy. He did, uh, by the way of Australia, Colombia, and Canada. So Goodness there's quite gracious. there's quite the <laughs> what a quite the journey that what he took trek. to get to Western New York. So you have the, you're caught between those two identities, and, and wanna, I want to touch on that a little bit later, a little bit more in, in depth. But how did you reconcile those two? How did you get to? How did you said you're 100 both? How, how is it looking back on your history and identifying with those two? Well, I, I always like to tell people um, I was born born and raised in Buffalo, born and raised basically on the Lower West Side, and uh, being Italian and Puerto Rican. I used to tell people, you know, I am a true West Side story, you know, <laughs> if you remember the film. Um, growing up, however, it's, if you know any history about uh, the West Side of Buffalo or the Lower West Side, it was predominantly Italian, Italian Americans. And then, you know, there was a Puerto Rican migration that ended up happening in the 50s and 60s here. Um, and Puerto Ricans started moving to the Lower West Side. Um, growing up, in the 80s, you know, I was born in 78, um, my neighborhood, it had already turned. It, it was more Puerto Rican than it was Italian, but there were still a lot of Italian families, still a lot of Italian homeowners there. My father was a barber by trade. He had a barber shop right there at the corner of uh, Maryland and West, literally down the street from where we lived. I grew up on West in Maryland. And, you know, he was, he was an immigrant Italian. He wasn't second generation here. He you know, he was authentic. He was authentic. And <laughs> I remember talking to a friend back in high school, friend Elias. He was Lebanese, same thing. It's ha he was a, it had an immigrant father as well. And when you have immigrant parents, they 
you know, life is a little different mm -hmm. than if you grow up in, you know, in a second or third generation home. But my dad, he, um, he was, he was tough, but, but loving. Um, and he was old school. He really was. He was old school. And just growing up, um, I didn't really have any connection to my father's family. Uh, my dad was born in Italy. His family, everyone, you know, his brothers, they all, except for two, they left Italy and they ended up in Australia. My dad, at the age of 17, he was the only one that left on his own. He, huh. he left Australia. He, he went to Singapore. From Singapore, he ended up in Colombia. And, you know, being a barber by trade, you know, he was a barber. He spent a couple years in, in Colombia. And then from there, he ended up in Port Coburn, Ontario. Being a barber, I guess, you know, they all run in similar circles, mm -hmm. if you will. He met, a, he met a gentleman by the name of Tom Anastasia, who owned a barber shop right on Niagara Street here in Buffalo. And uh, this gentleman, he, he, his store, his shop, actually is the um, Efraim Burgos um, barber shop. Ah. That was Tom Anastasia's shop it's way back when being a barber shop. that's awesome I, I remember speaking to Efraim and he has said yeah he bought the he bought the building from Tom <laughs> and I told him the story well Tom Anastasia you know name ends with an A mm -hmm. he sponsored you know he became friendly with my dad and he sponsored my father to come to the states you know saying this is my cousin from Italy <laughs> whatever you know a little shady but you know you do what you can We're all to, cousins you know, eventually exactly exactly but he sponsored my dad to come to the States, and, and my father, he crossed the border. And, um, yeah, he settled here on the Lower West Side. And that's where he met my mom, who my mother's journey here, she followed her sisters who followed her father. My, my grandfather, he left his family to come up to Western New York, uh, Brant specifically, to work the fields. And uh, it's true of a lot of Puerto Rican families here, you know, it, you see a lot of similarities with um, families that that come to the states, you know, to to work uh, agricultural, to do agricultural work, you know, whether manufacturing. I know the steel mill exactly also attracted a lot of exactly lot of yeah. to the area. But my grandfather, he he worked he he worked in agriculture and was working the fields in Brent, New York, for the Catalano family, and um, yeah, everyone else followed him and had a very strong. Puerto Rican daughter that that was your mother, <laughs> and, and now like you're you're you identify with both. But this movie, this film that you, you've done, this documentary, Boricua Soy Yo, talks right off the bat of your personal experience as a second generation Puerto Rican here in, in the U.S. and everything that's gone on the island. Um, what was the moment or the thought that made you realize that you needed to make this documentary? You know, it was um, so it was my second feature documentary film. And um, my first one was a documentary uh, titled In Their Words of Service and Sacrifice. And, and it was a, a film that I had done uh, to capture the stories of veterans, you know, military veterans who had uh, served in World War II, uh, the Korean War, as well as Vietnam. Um, you know, I wanted to capture their stories before their, you know, before the end of their lives, in a sense, because, you know, it's like a recipe. If you don't capture those mm -hmm. stories. It's the oral tradition that disappears go, once. It's gone. Uh, but, you know, for my second film, I, I wanted to do something a little more personal. I wanted to do something that was more connected to me. You know, I wasn't a veteran. It just it was a story that I ended up doing. But uh, I wanted to do something that was more more tied to my identity or more tied to my history. Um, and um, thanks to COVID, my uh, 
my full-time job, I work in software, uh, that ended up ending uh, due to budget cuts, you know, and I found myself uh, without a job for a good six months in 2020. But that kind of gave me a little bit of freedom to to start exploring what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the idea came to me. I knew I wanted to do something centered on my culture, centered on being Puerto Rican. And, And that was it. That was it. I figured, you know, let me let me do something about history. Let me do something about culture. And it just kind of came together. A lot of people were baking and, and doing puzzles, <laughs> and, and you decided to be, be put your creative talents to, to good use and, and made a movie, made a, made a film. And it's a, it's a great film because it is now on, on a lot of streamers, right? You can, you can see it currently. Yes, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Tubi, everybody's you know, favorite low-budget yes. streamer. But, yeah, I'm really happy with the way, um, with the, way the film came out. And i just like to say the title itself – Boricua soy yo. Reason I, am, I, I am Boricua. Well, the reason I titled it that way, if you, if you listen to it, and if you're a native Spanish speaker, it's a little awkward because it should be... Yo soy Boricua. Exactly. But I wanted to title it Boricua soy yo because I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm bilingual, but it's not my first language, Spanish. So I figured I wanted to, to do something that kind of caught your attention immediately. Um, also... Yo soy Boricua, that it's a it's a saying that you will hear, you know, if, if you go into the Puerto Rican community, you know, yo soy Boricua followed by pa que tu lo sepa, just so you know. <laughs> so I mean, you so can, you know, you if can you go didn't to know any, already. No, you can go to any. <laughs> seriously, you can go to any Puerto Rican neighborhood, whether it be down in New York City, in the Bronx, South Bronx, wherever, go to Chicago, Humble Park, you go anywhere. And if you were to get on a megaphone and scream, yo soy Boricua, you're going to hear somebody Scream back, which, by the way, is, is speaking of Spanish and the beautiful, refined language that it is, us Caribbean folk, we just chop that thing up and, <laughs> and slice and dice it because it should be para que usted lo sepa. No, no. We no. say para que tú lo sepa. We drop, we drop. Yeah, we. I had a buddy who's uh, Peruvian. And he says that uh, we all speak uh, the Caribbean Hispanic speak uh, Spanish like we have an onion in our mouth. Oye, oye, pescado. Like. Do you, do you do you, have you ever had carne guisado? Yes. Or is it carne guisado? <laughs> you know, and as I, I don't know, like, but but that's the beauty of like our our own individual cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have our own traditions, we have our own way of saying things, we have our own way of doing things. And you mentioned earlier that you know we're in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month, and you know I have my own my own opinions about Hispanic Heritage Month, but I I, I truly love our own individual cultures for what they are. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to ask you about that because there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but uh, you filmed this, this in Florida, uh, a state we're both familiar with, <laughs> uh, Puerto Rico and Buffalo. And you start with a very comprehensive look at the history of the island. There's a great uh, source in here, Dr. Luis Martinez Fernandez, who I'm going to ask you about him. But uh, upon getting into this this project, was there anything you didn't know about La Isla del, del Encanto that you didn't know before? There were, you know, there were quite a few things that I didn't know about, you know, about our history, about things that we've, like, gone through, things that we've, you know, the foods that we eat. Like, why do we eat the foods that we eat? Why do we have the words or sayings that we have? So, for instance, you know, there, I, I found it interesting to see the, um, 
the influence of a lot of other cultures from like North Africa, for instance, mm-hmm. that have had on the, the islands, on the Caribbean, and specifically in Puerto Rico. The word Boricua is well, from Boriqueng. Boriqueng is an original Taino, Taino word. word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, it, it's even deeper than that. Like, so, for instance, um, have you ever had an alcapuria? I've heard of it. I have not had one. So an alcapuria is, it's a, it's a fritter. It, it's fried, yep. you know, and uh, it, it comes from falafel. So when, you know, when uh, Northern Africans started going out to the Caribbean, they, you know, they didn't have access to a lot of the foods that they were familiar with. One being like chickpeas, garbanzo beans, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So they ended up using what they could. On the island, what do you find on the island? A lot of green bananas, a lot of platano. So that's where alcapuria comes from. So instead of having green, uh, like your chickpeas, to to make your falafel, they were using what they had on hand. A lot of plantains, <laughs> delicious, yeah. delicious platanos. An- another thing, another thing. Like even the words that we use. Okay, I'm sure you've heard ojalá mm-hmm. a- as being thrown out there. I hope. You know, you hope or God willing. It comes from insula, which is mm. an Arabic saying. Well, we got we had Spanish in, in Spain, which has just been uh, we talk about melting pot. Spain was was one of the big ones because you had all the Moorish influence, you had some some Hebrew influence there too, and and then that then all that came to the the Americas to yeah. to the to Central America to the Caribbean and, and yeah, and you, you just got mixed in with all the other no, and you mentioned you know the Hebrew influence like. Uh, one of the subjects in my documentary is uh, she's a singer. She's a Ladino singer, not Latino, Ladino, L-A-D-I-N-O, because that's a form of music. Eileen, uh, Eileen Ramirez. Eileen Ramirez. And um, her background is she is a uh, Sephardic background, which mm-hmm. is a Hebrew uh, Jewish background from, you know, from Spain. This was completely... You know, it just completely blew my mind. I, I didn't know that it's we had that on the island. Complex history of, of all of all that area down down. Like I mentioned, we're all former colonies. We're all former territories. Overall, you had the French, you had the the Spanish, you had not not particularly in Puerto Rico, but in the Caribbean. There was some Dutch. The Dutch were down there too. So you got so many different uh, sources where where things get taken from, then the the melded into what's already there. It's a Beautiful backdrop for a culture, and it's one that's had it's a, an interesting history because, like I mentioned briefly, it's the oldest colony in the world. It's it, it still continues has to a, be so, yeah. Has that that distinction, and Dr. Luis Martinez Fernandez, very knowledgeable historian of the Caribbean, and and one thing I, I hadn't thought of before is you have the Spanish American War, which is where um, the U.S. intervenes and and eventually. Because of that conflict, you get Cuba becomes its own independent nation. Puerto Rico, not so much. It becomes a bargaining chip almost uh, in this exchange, and it becomes a U.S. territory at that point in time. Then you go from, in in a matter of a few decades, Puerto Rico's been this farm-based economy at the turn of the 20th century. And then all of a sudden, practically, I think, what, 20 years, it it goes into a fully industrialized nation. Operation Bootstrap. Operation uh, Bootstrap. Yes, the the first Puerto Rican born like elected governor of Puerto Rico, uh, Lu, um, Luis Munoz. Luis Marin. Munoz Marin. Sorry, I was about to say Luis Fernandez. <laughs> Martinez Fernandez. <laughs> no, that's that's our doctor. Who's yeah, yeah. Uh, kudos to him. The man, the man knows his, his stuff. But Luis Munoz Marin, the first 
governor of Puerto Rico, right? And he, yes, he's kind and, of... and he was he was the first elected governor of Puerto Rico, and um, he's a very controversial figure on the island. You know, you have a lot of people who who truly who loved you know the changes that he brought forth, um, but then you also have a lot of people that uh, that criticize him, and it, it's I don't know from the outside looking in, I, I could. I could acknowledge like what he did for the people on the island, and, and as you mentioned, alluded to uh, with the twenty year, uh, the the twenty year like, just light speed light to speed industri- industrialization that yeah. happened on the island through Operation Bootstrap, but you know to change it from being an agricultural economy to being more industrialized, you know I mean that's an amazing feat. It really is, but at the same time, you know. There were uh, there was a lot of political oppression that happened on the island. There was, I'm sure, some like there is still to this day some, uh, I don't want to say resentment, but some conflict with the notion of being a territory of someone else. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And he was basically the person who bridged that gap. He bridged the gap, but he, he was Kennedy also to pushing. He was pushing for statehood, hmm. you know, and and of course, you know, you you have folks that are probably not going to be, you know, pro-statehood on the island. You're going to have people that are going to want to be independent and be their own sovereign nation. And, I mean, it, it's it's interesting how the island has been a territory of the United States since 1898, after the end of the Spanish-American War. And we've just never been able to govern ourselves as an island. And I'm speaking as a, you know, I'm speaking from, you know, the comforts of living here on the mainland which people always ask me, like, well, what's your opinion on the status of the island? And I know we're going to we're going to talk about this, but I, I don't know if I have one. I don't know if it, it's as an outsider, as an outsider, you, it's, it's you don't feel it's right. It, it's it's not, not right to have an opinion. On, you're not going to get you're not going to see the effects of, of that. Exactly. Decision. Exactly. Or, if anything, just in the peripheral. Exactly. And, and, and the one thing that I found interesting, you know, doing this, talking to people, um, working on this project, um, you know, I've spoke to quite a few pro-statehood people, either in person or online, you know, through social media. Like or, U.S. Or Rep. What Darren Soto? Uh, yes, U.S. Representative Darren Soto. Um, he he introduced a pro-statehood bill and because the island, uh, you know, there there was a referendum and he's trying to get the island to become a state. He's, he's in, he's, he, well, he wants the island to determine At that At least have the themselves. opportunity to say, we want this or not. Exactly. I think he. In, exactly. It, there was a referendum in 2020, and it was yes. something like 52.5 percent that voted to become a state. So he was he and and his group that was they're pushing statehood or at least the opportunity to have that conversation took that as, hey, this is That's, this is a, this is a majority. It's a real deal. But you're also going to have people that are going to say it was a sham vote because it really didn't, you know, the amount of people that voted for it. You know, was, was an indicative of the was actual indicative population. of the actual population exactly. So we're we're here now. Let's 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 dive into this because a big portion of the film is about that the status debate, quote unquote status debate. It's a long running issue that, I mean, it it starts off with I guess you can go back to Luis Munoz Marin, the first governor, and how that was something that that was talked about but never quite happened. Um, it's either become a U.S. state, stay as a commonwealth or a U.S. territory. Or just completely secede and, and be your own independent nation, uh, and everyone's torn on it. It seems like the, the vote in 2020 was 52.5, but you have other 
And it still has to pass through, you know, right. pass and, through and Congress. It's, you have like the last two states, Alaska and Hawaii, the, the votes for, for statehood for those two were, was overwhelmingly positive. It was, it was 90 percent or so, exactly. at least 90. So if you were to push forward with this notion of, of statehood, you're with 52.5 votes I, uh, of the island. And that's even that's not even that's a small sample, as you, as you stated. There still would be a, a over large 40%, swath that, over 40% of the population that, that doesn't, doesn't agree with it. this or doesn't have that strong of an opinion for statehood. So how you, you touch on this very well in the movie, how do you get to an accurate decision? Because well, the other thing, too, is that you're seeing with the island still being a territory, you don't get all the benefits of U.S. statehood. You get citizenship, but you don't get the statehood perks. No, you don't. The resources don't. Are, are less... Um, we saw that when Hurricane Maria came by. We saw that recently a lot with the islands not getting the infrastructure needs taken care of, and and there's there's a huge concern for that. Where do you? I mean, you said you don't you have one opinion or the other, but where would you like to see the island kind of take? What path would you like to see it? I think for me, um, I, of course, yeah, everyone has an opinion, right? Um, I think the first thing that should happen before they even vote for statehood, before they even vote for independence or continued commonwealth, is the suspension of the Jones Act permanently. Um, it, it's a shame that, like, when you look at what happened during Hurricane Maria, a lot of relief was delayed. And I, I believe they did end up suspending it, but a, a lot of relief or early relief was delayed because... As a, you know, by maritime law, uh, goods couldn't go directly to the island. They would end up having to be diverted to Jacksonville, oh, put on a boat, on an American boat, and then sent to the island. And that continues to today. So, like, if I wanted to buy a car, let's say if I wanted to buy a Japanese car, you know, and just just to... to you know, use this as an example. Mm -hmm. It can't go from a Japanese boat directly to Puerto Rico. It would have to go on a Japanese boat to Miami, Jacksonville, Jacksonville and, and then transferred over to an American boat and then sent to the island of Puerto Rico. So it's like that right there. You know, they don't pay taxes in Puerto Rico, but they pay higher prices mm -hmm. on, on food. They pay higher prices on gas. You know, it, it's there's little things. So I, I think before we even start to have that discussion, uh, suspending the Jones Act would be the the place That's to start. A good start. That's a good start. Um, but I, I truly feel like, you know, the people on the island should be the ones to determine, you know, their status. We we have a lot. of, And, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit on the in the film. But most of the people that I spoke to, you know, I, I, like, again, either online or in person who support independence of puerto rico they're saying all this from the comforts of living here on the mainland so they're not going to be the hard ones travel a hard path if you go independent and you go you secede then you are it that's it you gotta you know, fend for yourself and, and but i mean like they have the but they're saying yeah we should be independent we should be independent but you're saying that from here yeah if you want this you know if you want the island to be independent why don't you guys go and relocate down there and push for that from from the island because you know what let's say you get your wishes the island does become independent now you're living with you know those decisions mm -hmm. that that were made whereas it's easy to say oh we should be independent when you're living here on the mainland so if this if the the island does become independent 
for good or bad, you're still benefiting from living here on the mainland versus having to, I don't want to say suffer consequences, but having to live with what the effects are. Yep. Yep. The byproducts of that decision uh, and, and owning it once you once you are there making it. And that's why I kind of feel whenever someone asks me, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Should the island be independent? Should it be a state? That's why I feel like uncomfortable when it comes to like answering that because no, it's, 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 you know, it's a valid I, I don't response. have, you know, I, I don't have a dog in that fight. I, one thing I want to bring up uh, towards the end is we are byproducts of, of these migrations. Uh, I'm Cuban American. I My parents got here in the 80s and. And there are a lot of issues that have taken place in Cuba that I, I have my opinions on, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not of the island. I'm not, I haven't lived it. So it's hard to opine or give an absolute opinion on, on things if you're not, if you're not in it. It's simple as that. I'm speaking with Rocco Anastasio. He's the filmmaker, director, producer, everything of Boricua Soy Yo. And it is a fantastic documentary on, on the history of Puerto Rico, the influences that, that worldwide influences and, and also its future. You have some great Buffalo Puerto Rican voices in your film, uh, one of which we'll hopefully hear from a little bit later, not in this show, but on what's next, Beatriz Flores. She's the powerhouse force behind El Bate. El Bate is a, is a cultural center, not only to do courses for jujitsu, but also bomba. It's a big part of what they do. And, and that uh, it celebrates the Taino influence, the the. For those that are unaware of what Taino is, the, the native indigenous culture of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean, Puerto, yeah, of a lot yeah, of the Puerto Rico, the Caribbean, uh, you know, Hispaniola, you know, Hispaniola, all of Cuba, that yeah. area, even Jamaica. I mean, it, they were all over the. They were uh, seafaring. The so they would, Italy, they would yeah. go from island to island, and and that was one of the one of the elements that were, were mixed into all of this identity that that we all somewhat share. And you discuss the the African and indigenous influence on the, the island's cultural makeup. But what can you tell us about all these different groups and how they interacted throughout Puerto Rico's history? You know, you, you look at the way that uh, colonialism kind of shaped the island itself, you know, and, and look at look at how slavery shaped America. Hmm. A lot of people don't really understand or, or acknowledge the fact that most of the slaves that were brought over the Atlantic ended up in Central South America and the islands. So with that said, you know, the influences that 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 these people brought over to the island, that, that kind of shaped what the island would become. Mixing with the the native inhabitants of the island, you know, there's growing up, you, I always heard how, you know, oh, Puerto Ricans are made up of, of Spaniard and Taino and, and African blood. And, you know, we each carry a piece of that with us. And uh, and, and it's true. We absolutely do. However, um, for me, I, I always I always recognize that there isn't a lot of focus spent on the African or on the Taino influence of our cultural identity. It's Hispanic Heritage Month. Hispanic, mm-hmm. Spanish, Hispanic. You know, it, it's it's very it's very geared towards the, the Iberian the, yes. Peninsula. Yep. Where where is the the African influence in Hispanic Heritage Month? Where is the the Taino or Native influence in that? It, it's almost like if you celebrate Hispanic, you're only celebrating like one third of the identity of that culture. And and really, in terms of you know what is Hispanic culture, we can be here. 
you know, all day talking about it because I, I don't really believe that there is a Hispanic or Latino culture. It's just so many cultures that exist. We, you know, we're not one monolith. Mm -hmm. So I, I think when I look at like our identity, uh, when I look at um, the history of the island, you know, seeing organizations or, or programs or, or, you know, just um, seeing what like Beatriz is doing over at El Bate, it's 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 enlightening. I love it because it's showing, you know, there's more history to us than rice and beans. There's more history to us than salsa music. And sh her doing what she's doing with El Bate, uh, it it's amazing because it, it almost goes, you know, unknown in a sense. You know, she's she's not a huge organization. She's, you know, she's not like the Hispanic Heritage Council of Western New York. Um, you know, she's doing this. Her and her husband are doing this there. And, and they have programs. They're, you know, they, they're doing a ton of things for the youth, educating, educating through music, educating through dance. You know, people say, oh, you know, they think about bomba music and or, or like, you know, culturally um, as being culturally tied to, you know, the the holiday season, you know, bomba plena, whatever. Mm -hmm. But no, they're 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 actually teaching history through music and teaching history through dance. And a lot of that is tied to African traditions, you know. So I think it's a beautiful thing that she's highlighting that because a lot of, you know, a lot of organizations aren't. And it's unfortunate. It really is. You said it. We're not, no one Hispanic, quote unquote, identity is, is, is a monolith. There's so much, so much intertwined in that, that to unpack it would take a week's worth of episodes, I think. But um, uh, I, I guess we can kind of, discuss how it is being as as you mentioned in, in, at one point that the dichotomy of being a second generation puerto rican here in the u.s and and the, and the the division that that is somehow the informal division you see between american-born puerto ricans and native puerto ricans but there's this yeah there's this, this separate but equal kind of notion there that we can identify as as such cuban puerto rican but we're not on the island so how did how did you keep your Puerto Rican identity alive here as a American-born? I mean, citizen? it was it was where I grew up here on the Lower West Side. You know, um, my mother's first language was Spanish. My father's first language was Italian, but he also spoke Spanish because he spent a lot of time in in Colombia. And he, you know, of course, he spoke English as well, and he'd yell at us in all three languages <laughs> at the same time. That must have been quite but, the scene. Yeah. But um, no, it, it was where I grew up. You know, I'm, I grew up on the Lower West Side. It's it's a it's a Puerto Rican community. Uh, not so much now, you know, because like as as people move in, you know, others move out. But you know, growing up in the eighties, in a in, a, in the mid eighties, lower, you know, early eighties, nineties, it was a Puerto Rican neighborhood, and um, you know, we carry our traditions, and and that's the traditions are what keep your culture alive, and. Um, you know, yeah, it's, you know, the whether arts, it be the, the music, music, arts, food. We're more yeah. than that. We're more than just we're, that. We are more than but that. It's, but that's that's very much an, an identity. There's American identity, quote unquote, and, and, and all those those things also get displayed there. But at the end of the day, that's also there's so much influence from other cultures in American culture. No, absolutely. And, and yeah, it's 
all of that and and again like it was where i grew up like i went to school 76 herman badillo bilingual academy right here on tracy by elmwood right off of elmwood and um i'd say goodness a good 85 percent of my teachers were all either puerto rican but they were latino in, in some way shape or form so you know it, it was second nature to know that you know okay we could speak english or spanish in class your so, your father yes and it, how is it keeping that identity alive through that because that's a challenge for myself uh but how do you how do you tackle that one well in my father's case so you know being someone who is multicultural um it was difficult because my dad was the only one that that came to america from his family there was no one else here and even though that there isn't a you know there's a huge italian american population here um because I grew up on the Lower West Side, because I was mixed, I and because you know, I don't I don't want to say I'm a mama's boy, but you know I was closer to my mother's family because you know we had a lot of family here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, here I am. I have probably one of the most Italian-sounding names that you're ever gonna see. <laughs> but you know, if someone were to ask me, I, I you know back then I would say, oh, I'm Puerto Rican and Italian. You know, I wouldn't say I'm Italian and Puerto Rican because for me. I felt like I was Puerto Rican first, Italian second, uh, which is, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's a shame, but it, it that's just how it was because yeah. that's how I grew up. I grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see or meet any of my father's family until I was 16, 17 years old. So, you know, and trying to, I guess, relate to, to that part of my identity, even though, again, huge Italian American population here, but you got to remember, my father was like, an, he was an Italian immigrant. So, you know, the populations here in, in Western New York, the Italian American populations, they were already here for one or two generations prior to my father coming here. So he was still an immigrant. He wasn't, uh, you know, part of that early migration that came to America, you know, in, in the early 1900s. And Did because he suffer of that, any, I guess, Difficulty assimilating or getting into the, the, the community? I don't know if he suffered any, you know, any difficulties like that. But, you know, just to kind of, I, I knew the like language he, he had, I mean, you know, he spoke broken English. You know, he, he did. He spoke broken English. He, he was darker than I was. My father was from Reggio Calabria. Well, he was from a town in, uh, in Calabria called uh, Opito Marmetina, which is... Uh, out in the in the mountains, I actually had a chance to go visit where my father was born. Can I ask if you had um, made a, p- a yeah, pilgrimage out? To, I did. To I did Italy. back in two thousand eight. Amazing experience. And um, but you know, I, I don't know if he had a lot of difficulties, but part of me, you know, just talking to him, and my father passed away. It's going on goodness twenty one years now. Uh, part of me does um, does feel that you know he didn't have it like as easy as a typical Italian American would have it here. Just because, you know, he was a more recent immigrant, he, he, he spoke broken English. But again, you know, he and he was based on the Lower West Side. Like a lot of a lot of Italians, a lot of Italian Americans, they ended up abandoning the West Side. They really did um, for North Buffalo or for the suburbs. And, and he, he stayed there until he died. And and with your with your kids, are they in tune with their Grandparents and beyond, uh, their their lineages. You know, they are. Um, 
we are trying to get them to to like uh, be a little more aware. I mean, you know, just a moment ago uh, talking about how uh, Italians ended up abandoning the West Side. Um, I don't live in the West Side anymore. My mother still does, still lives in the same house that my parents bought the spring before I was born. Uh, we're never selling that house. Um, I live in Depew now. A lot of the, you know, my children are probably maybe, you know, there are a handful of kids, you know, students of color, if I can say, that go to my children's schools. So, yeah, they're going to stand out. At the same time, though, I don't want them to ever feel like they're not as special as everyone else. I want them to be in tune or be connected to their cultures. My wife is she's full blooded Puerto Rican. So, you know, when my children were born, we, we'd say, oh, you know, they're 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 little a little peseta, a little quarter. <laughs> and, you know, so they're they're quarter Italian. But they all have like Italian sounding names as well. But, um, you know, they know who they are. They know their history. And, you know, we're we're introducing that to them because I don't want them to ever question anything about, you know, about their past, about their history, about our family history. Uh, they were born well after my father had passed away. So they never got they never got to meet my dad, but they know my dad in stories that I share with them. And that's very special. And this is one of the reasons why after 12 years in Florida, we moved back to Buffalo was because my mother is still here. And, you know, my mother would always visit, you know, every year, but I wanted them to know what it was like to see where I grew up, to see where their parents came from. Cause you know, my wife was born and you know, she was born in Buffalo, spent time in Puerto Rico about eight years and then moved back as a child. So, you know, this is where her parents, their parents came from. I want the, our children to see where, you know, where their parents were born and raised. And you've gone back to the island numerous times, right? You've gone back to Puerto Rico? Yeah. Uh, most recently for a Hurricane Maria relief trip. Is that yes, it was a year. It was just over a year after Hurricane Maria hit. Uh, my job at the time uh, had, had worked with a, an organization called All Hands and Hearts. And um, they were sending people out in, two, in like two different groups of seven people to go out to the island to do some relief work. And um, we landed in Yabucoa, which is uh, where the hurricane made landfall, where it first made landfall, as I think it was a Category 4. And um, it, it was a life-changing experience. Just, I mean, it was eye-opening, sad, and, and just a humbling experience for me. You said you you were helping out with some of the, the work and and there was a you were one of the few Puerto Ricans from from yeah, mainland it, America yeah. that came came on the trip and one one gentleman found out and yeah that really so um, just to kind of give a little context here uh, when you know when we were brought to the our base of operations where we were staying it was an old uh, old elementary school you know we were sleeping on on bunk bed cots if you will. You know, it was it was it was bad. But you know what? I was down there to help my people. Uh, it was about 70 of us that were on base at a given time and um, meeting people of the 70. There were probably about three or four of us that actually had ties to the island who were Puerto Rican or, you know, whose family was from Puerto Rico. And that really upset me. It, it really disappointed me. And um, yes, I, I remember I was, uh, you know, that week I spent on top of a roof, a flat roof. And, you know, if you've been to the islands, you know, a lot of the roofs there are flat mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, made out of uh, concrete. So I was up there helping to refinish this roof. 
uh, and um, talking to the owner of the house. He had bought the house like maybe a few weeks before the hurricane hit. No. So he didn't even get a chance to live in the house. Um, but when he learned, you know, I was talking to him and he would always he would bring us food, like home cooked food, hmm. you know, every day to, to feed us for lunch. And, um, you know, talking to him, he learned that my mother, you know, and, and I had mentioned that, yeah, you know, my mother was born in Sabana Grande, which is down in, in the mountains in the, the south, southwest of Puerto Rico, you know, and his eyes lit up. And, you know, he kind of like, I don't want to say he had tears in his eyes, but I, I could see like he was a little emotional about the fact that, you know, here's, you know, one of our, one of one of our people from the mainland this coming Yankee down to help. Came down. Yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, he had mentioned like, you know, it he was sad and disappointed that that there wasn't that there weren't more Puerto Ricans from the mainland going there to actually to to do the work and you know and I when I came back I remember I, I wrote I wrote a blog about my my disappointment in my mainland Puerto Ricans because you know our people needed needed them and you know here we were here here I was on the island not seeing more of us down there helping out and and you know Growing up here, or, you know, whether, you know, I lived in New York for a number of years for college, and, you know, I'd go to Puerto Rican Day Parade every year when I was down there, and, you know, everyone's waving their flags, being proud everyone's, of being Puerto Rican. real quick to say, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Cuban, I'm, I'm this, I'm exactly. that. Exactly. But, but when it be comes about to, it. Yeah, but when it comes to actually putting in the work and helping your people when they need that help the most, where were they? And, that it, you know, it mm -hmm. really upset me. And I don't want to say, like, I resented people when I got back, but, you know, I, I kind of wanted to call people out, you know, and, and I'd share, like, look, this is a, a awesome organization, um, all hands and hearts. You know, if you don't have, if you're just out of college and you're not sure what you're doing, look, you know, look into it. They'll pay for your flight. They'll pay for your room and board. They just need volunteers to go down there. Well, I hope more, more folks of Puerto Rican backgrounds watch this film because just to get that, that, I mean, I, I I got emotional because I saw a lot of similarities with my background. And like you said, how you were somewhat conflicted about being born here, but having that identity, uh, very much so my, the case for myself as well. Like I'm, I have never gone to Cuba, period. My folks haven't had the opportunity to. I'd love to go down there. It's just it hasn't been in the cars for us, but it's something that, it, it, it pulls at you because it's where it's somewhere down the line. If geopolitical issues were not what they were, I probably would have been, I would have been Lorenzo Rodriguez living in, in, in Matanza, Cuba and, 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 and a totally different lifestyle than, than what I'm, I'm having right now. It's, it's a multiverse of You'd be of, wearing a guayabera instead yes, of Yes. I'd be rolling some cigars somewhere. I'd, I'd be uh, hauling uh, uh, sugar cane like my dad did in, in, in back in the day. Like it's, it's a whole different ball game, but, yeah, it pulls at you. It, it tugs at you one way or another. And uh, I, like I said, I, I hope uh, Puerto Ricans and non-Puerto Ricans alike watch this, this film to hopefully get an idea, better understanding. Because we think of, like you mentioned, Hispanic Heritage Month. You think of you think of the surface level stuff. Puerto Ricans, oh, it's, it's more than Tito Puente, J-Lo, uh, Mark Anthony, and... And all the all the cultural ambassadors that we have, yeah, uh, Cubans are more than just people. <laughs> There's more to us all in the Caribbean than that. So I, I do hope that that they get a chance to see it. It's not your first film, correct? Uh, it is not. It, it is my it is my second feature, and it's um, not your last. As it is well. not my last. It is not my. Can last. you I, give us a, a tease of what's to come? I actually have two things that I'm uh, in the 
planning stages on. Well, one, I've actually already started filming, uh, filming an interview. I've already filmed uh, one interview, and but I'm setting others up as well. Um, so during uh, the second, this other film, it's called uh, Puerto Frito. That's the, <laughs> that's the, the, you know, the working title for it. Uh, I want to look at the type 2 diabetes rate in our community. Uh, we have, uh, last I saw, the second highest diabetes rate in the nation mm. behind uh, Pima Indians from Arizona. That really caught my attention. When I was doing uh, Boricua Soy Yo, there were a few things that I wanted to cover. I wanted to cover the uh, sterilization programs that happened on the island, you know, from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, where generations of women were, they were sterilized. They, they basically were, you know, subject to experimentation. Uh, huh. And that's that's another piece of history that, you know, I heard about it, but I never really got deep into it. Um, there, there's an excellent documentary out there. I believe it's from the late 70s or early 80s. Uh, Hunter College, I believe, is um, I, I've seen it on their social media shared, but it's called La Operación. And they interviewed a lot of women who were subject to the sterilization program and just that empty feeling that that it left a generation of women on the island. Uh, but that was one subject that I didn't get a chance to cover in Boricua Soy Yo, but the other one was food. And not necessarily the foods we eat, but the foods that we eat and how, like why we eat the food we eat and the origin of the foods. As I was doing my research on that, I, I came across the information about how high the type 2 diabetes rate is in our community. And that kind of got my, you know, wheel spinning why why are we suffering you know why are we suffering these these ridiculous rates of diabetes on this you know in this uh, in this community and a lot of it is tied to the foods we eat is there also the healthcare that, in the way that it's well? pre healthcare inequities yeah everything there's so many different factors mm. but a lot of it is you know you know the way that we prepare our foods the the foods that we eat it's we funny love, to me. Puerto Frito is a fantastic name for it because we, we all love to fry Oh, we, we, yeah, look, I love my fried food too. But, I mean, like, it's just little little things. Like, I don't know why. I don't know where it started. I don't I don't understand where this came from. But Vienna sausages is huge in, in our community. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, in, in the rice. You would throw in, in the it rice, in, exactly. You chop them up from the rice. But, yep. but why? You know, like, different different little things. Like, you know, and here we are, this little island you know, in, in the middle of the Caribbean, and you have a lot of different influences from from all these other places that have kind of like seeped into, you know, our culinary. But we've also, because of like the way that we've like migrated out of the out of the island into the different areas here on the mainland, um, you know, we brought those traditions, but we also introduced others into our cooking. Uh, some of those have been really great, but then you also have a lot of like influences that it kind of affected our health. So that's where I want to take a look at, like, why do we eat the foods we eat and why are the foods that we're eating like slowly killing us? And is there are there healthier ways in which we can prepare these traditionally delicious meals that we grew up loving? You know, and I want to look into that. Well, that's a good tease for the future conversation and the future project from Rocco Anastasio. Is there anywhere that, that folks can get more information about the projects you're doing, the, the, the films, and you just, you mentioned a blog, is that still? Sure, I'm, I'm also, um, you, you can, you know, for more information, you could always go to my website. It's 
anastasioproductions.com. Uh, same thing on Facebook, uh, Anastasio Productions. I also have a uh, Boricua Soy Yo Facebook page as well. Um, I'm also a columnist. I, I write monthly for the Buffalo Latin Journal. So you could also um, you could also read my works there as well. Perfect. Uh, Rocco, thank you so much for joining us today on, on What's Next. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate the time. Thank and you've been listening to What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.